Welcome to The Dialogue, the podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at Lehigh University. My name is Kelly Austin, Associate Professor of Sociology, and today we're talking about some current developments in the HIV-AIDS pandemic. There are approximately 37 million people living with HIV-AIDS, with around 2 million people becoming newly infected each year. Sub-Saharan Africa is the most affected region, with over two-thirds of the global HIV burden. One important dimension of the HIV pandemic has been the gender shift in HIV-AIDS from men to women. Initially, when the disease first became recognized in the 1980s, men had higher prevalence rates. Today, however, the opposite is true. Women are more likely to be infected with the virus and now represent about 60% of global HIV cases. The vulnerabilities of women to HIV infection, especially in developing regions like Sub-Saharan Africa, are due to numerous factors tied both to biology and gender inequalities. Women are physiologically more efficient at acquiring the disease, and women in poor nations lack reproductive rights and the ability to negotiate the terms of sex. Many poor women engage in survival sex or sexual relationships in exchange for food, housing, clean water, or to pay school fees for themselves or their children. Current trends show that young women aged 15 to 24 years old in Sub-Saharan Africa are particularly vulnerable. In this age range, young women can be over eight times more likely to have HIV than their same age male counterparts. In addition to pressures to engage in survival sex, many young women are also engaging in what we might call consumption sex, or sex for consumer goods, like new clothes, makeup, or other beauty products. As Western consumption habits and beauty standards spread to developing African nations, new needs are created. And these needs, like makeup, new dresses, or sanitary pads, constantly require replenishment. Older men are more likely to have the disposable income to support young women's needs. And older men have much higher rates of HIV than younger men, as they have had more sexual partners over the course of their lives and are more likely to have access to decent incomes to afford many sexual relationships. The pressures to engage in relationships with older men come not just from the young women themselves, but also from parents and family who might also benefit from gifts or money from older male suitors. Dowries, where a prospective husband pays the family of a daughter he intends to marry, are still very common in much of Sub-Saharan Africa. Certainly, older and more affluent men, the male group most likely to have HIV, are also most likely to pay a large dowry to the bride's parents. This speaks to another important trend that often goes unrecognized in global health efforts. While HIV is certainly most prevalent in poor nations like those in Sub-Saharan Africa, it is the poor and the rich within these nations that are most vulnerable to acquiring HIV-AIDS. The poor due to a lack of rights and other options, and the rich because they can afford to have multiple sex partners. HIV has garnered unparalleled international attention over the last 30 plus years. It is not clear, however, to what degree this attention has been successful in addressing the virus or improving local conditions. There are more NGOs and funding or charities targeting HIV-AIDS than any other development issue in Africa. It is important to recognize that AIDS is not the only or most severe development issue in Africa, but one of many. Countless nations with high burdens of HIV have even higher rates of death from other diseases, 
like malaria, diarrhea, pneumonia, cardiovascular disease, and malnutrition. The disproportionate and often misguided focus on HIV and global health efforts has generated use of the term AIDS exceptionalism. Funding from major agencies like UNAIDS or USAID has almost been exclusively directed towards antiretroviral therapies or ARTs, which improve the health and extend the life of HIV positive people. When taken properly, ARTs can also reduce the likelihood of HIV transmission. ART coverage has been uneven, however. It is often good in urban areas, but limited in rural regions. Even when ARTs are available, there are many challenges to taking them properly, especially among the poor. The disproportionate increase in HIV funding has actually led to decreases in funding for malaria, sanitation, nutrition, health worker training, or interventions for other diseases. Another unintended consequence has been a change in attitudes regarding HIV and AIDS. The overwhelming provision of ARTs in many areas is leading some adults and especially youth to become more lax or unafraid of getting HIV AIDS. They see many HIV positive people now leading healthy lives and getting good provisions for medicine from international agencies. So they no longer see AIDS as a death sentence or something that they need to avoid. An attitude shift is especially scary to consider as there is an extreme youth bulge in several African nations, including Uganda where I work. Over half of the population of Uganda is under the age of 16. We might be entering an era where there is an entire generation of youth who lack sufficient fear of the disease and therefore are less likely to take measures that prevent infection. The future of HIV AIDS, especially in poor nations, is unclear. AIDS exceptionalism, more relaxed attitudes towards the disease, and social and economic pressures that force young women to engage in risky sexual relationships all pose significant challenges in the years to come. I'm Kelly Austin, Associate Professor of Sociology in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology. Thanks for listening.